0: Take four. This is why I like to do it when the guest is watching me. I feel like it goes better every time. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. We have a special episode for you today. We are combining with our sister podcast, the AEC Disruptors, hosted by Christopher Riddell of Applied Software. We also have Anthony Zufelt. He's the senior consultant at Applied Software, has a deep background in AEC technologies and workflows, and aims to systematically unify business operations and workflows with best practice methodologies and emergent technologies. Our special guest today is Marcelo Scambluri. He's the director of advanced technology at JAMA, and he has worked on many BIM projects over the last 22 years as project manager, design engineer, and BIM director. He is internationally recognized as one of the top bim leaders and contributors to the education and implementation of bim technology in the industry he continually speaks at AU and rtc built where he has received the first place speaker award for a record 17 times between 2012 and 2020 between both of those conferences he is an expert on all things computational design and super excited for this episode today so Without further ado, we're going to go right into the conversation. All right, Marcelo, uh, excited to, to have you on the podcast. Uh, you just recently wrote a book that, I believe I got this title right, Dynamo and Grasshopper for Revit Cheat Sheet Reference Manual. There's a, a slight catch in that it's a picture book, right?
1: It is a picture book. You got the title close enough. You throw in the word reference and then you're, you're just about there. uh
0: so what inspired you to to write the book
1: well uh there was a lot of reasons why i wrote it um there's there's really no uh dynamo reference manual um out there right now uh and so i i felt there was a need in the industry um i've been contemplating this since 2016 actually uh and it just came out Uh, the end of last year 2020 December 2020 Um, and so I've I've been I've been creating a catalog of examples that I wanted to that I wanted to put together and publish Uh, and it was really the idea was it was kind of an extension of what I was doing when I would present and make handouts Uh, I realized it was a lot easier to put them in these kind of in these one page formats that I then called cheat sheets and um, and so uh by doing that i i wanted it to be easily digestible uh, content and not intimidating and so um so that was kind of the premise of of the book and then i i need i needed to get something out there because it wasn't really a, any any book out there on on dynamo uh and so um and so uh beginning let's see that was the uh, beginning of 2020 i was ready to actually produce this but then this new technology came on called. Rhino inside Revit that allowed Grasshopper to talk with Revit. And I thought, you know, what's going to make sense here is if I include Grasshopper as well in this book uh, and kind of make equivalent um, comparisons between Dynamo and Grasshopper. So then I spent the entire t- year of 2020 uh, implementing content for the book using Grasshopper. And so, so that's when I was finally ready to publish it. So now it's the, it's the Dynamo and Grasshopper for Revit. Cheat sheet reference manual. <laughs> nice. And it is a picture book. Like didn't you? Is,
2: didn't that come? Like you had trouble because it was a picture
1: book. It it is a picture book. So these one page <laughs> summaries are actually images. Uh, and and yeah, I maybe have, we
0: should describe what a picture book is in this context.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're they're basically one page summaries of of dynamo or grasshopper examples that that show what what content you need to place down in order to achieve something. And then it shows you the result. It's just one page, and and I did it all in a picture. Um, so there's very little text, you know, maybe a title, a few a few uh, notes, that sort of thing. Uh, and so when I was thinking of publishing this, I thought it was a slam dunk. I, I so I went to publishers, and and they basically told me that they're not going to publish a picture book for AEC. And so I had to try to explain, no, it's not really a picture book. I mean, there are pictures. and What you do when you and I learned a lot about um, about uh, kind of the authorship uh, side of things is, is, you, is if you talk with a publisher they have you fill out these forms and one is what percentage of your book are images and I put 100% and that's, that's kind of, <laughs> <laughs> minus the title
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so uh, that's kind of where it starts so anyway I had to self-publish the thing but uh, but it's um, it's great you know it's funny because I've had actually publishers come back to me now that it's <laughs> and ask if uh, I'm going to be doing a second edition or a part two so uh, you know, that's hopefully I can. Get, nice. Yeah, that that'll be that'll be in the pipeline soon. We'll
0: drive a hard bargain with him on the second time. Be like, well, well, well. <laughs> now you're coming back. <laughs> it's 100 pictures this time.
2: Still,
1: <laughs> <That's> right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Didn't you say it, it's all good? I mean, some you know, sometimes uh, you know, it's just nice. It, uh, it's I didn't. I'm. I knew there was a need for it. I didn't realize how um, what an what an impact it would make so far, uh, cause I, I kind of thought this is an extension of what I normally do when I make presentations. And then this would just kind of be an extension of a handout, but, but, uh, the, the, the community, the AC community has been real receptive and I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for it. So it's kind of already, it's already gone way above and beyond all my expectations.
0: That's really cool. Uh, so I'm way outnumbered in, in terms of, uh, genius level on, on this, this, this podcast, I'm going to ask the, uh, the elementary question here. What exactly is computational design? You're
1: going to get three different answers. You're three let's different
0: answers.
1: hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll go. I don't, I'll, I'll stop for now. Cause you, uh, I'll look, let everyone else speak. And then let
2: Anthony give his, let's see what Anthony thinks computational design is.
3: Oh man. I got to put the first step out there. <laughs> Um you know, it's, it is a big question. And it is something that I would say is not well defined in the industry. And that's something that we probably need to collectively work to do a better job of is to kind of define it. But I actually think that there's a there's a guy, a professor, Randy Deutsch. I don't know if you guys have read any of his works. He's written a lot of really good books that are really relevant to computational design and what it's doing in our industry. And the, the work I'm really thinking of here is, he has a, a book um, called Convergence, the redesign of design. It's a really, really fascinating book. But in it, he kind of speaks to the emergent forces and the technologies that have come together to the point where we've got real time integration uh, for all facets of design and construction. So it's it's all possible. And we're talking about these computational tools and collaborative workflows and so on. And in, in the book, he has this really striking diagram and it shows how we're collaborating people to people People to computer, computer to machine, this whole convergence. And I think that's really what the essence of computational design is this convergence of uh, a problem solving methodology married to an algorithmic process, person to computer to machine.
2: You know, internally, we um, we've been talking about this a lot. The three of us have talked about this more than we probably cared to. Um, and we took a look at what computational thinking was. And, you know, we, we wanted to distill it down to like the most simplest thing. <clears throat> you look at computational thinking. And again, like Anthony said, it's this problem solving methodology. So it's a way we solve problems. And there's four steps that are kind of fall into this. And, you know, Todd, you you said you, you didn't necessarily know what the computational design may mean, but you may actually participate in this type of methodology because it's you take this big thing and you break it into parts. You look at those parts and then you see what is similar about them. Are there any trends or patterns that you could kind of pull out? And then you kind of start to focus on just what's the important aspect of what we're trying to solve. And then finally, we create step-by-step instructions to solve the problem, you know. So in a way, it kind of goes to like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? It's that big problem. We break it into parts. We look for patterns. We focus on what's important. And then ultimately, we create step-by-step instructions. So we started with that. And then we said, okay, well, how does that translate to computational design? And what we found is it is that methodology of solving problems applied to design. And so to Anthony's point, then that's when we start to look at the the technologies that help us get there. Um, But we found that starting at like the simplest form and just looking at it like that, not even talking about like what is breaking into the parts means like decomposition. It doesn't matter what that means. Let's just focus on the steps that it starts to get become something you can really grab grab onto
1: wow those are great answers can i chime in too go for it i think uh i think the problem with computational design is is like like christopher said (laughs) you get different answers from different people uh and i think the confusion around the industry is is uh it's not really a thing it's more of a process and and I like to think of it that way, like like a digital twin, right? People try to define what a digital twin is. you can and I know you've had guests on your podcasts as well, Todd, that to try to define what digital twin. They all do an awesome job. Uh, i think I think a digital twin is not really a thing either. I think it's it's that's the that's the confusion. It's a process. you could have. You could have something that participates in as a digital twin, but if it sits on the shelf, well, then is it, are you really participating in that process? So I think, I think computational design is a process, less of a thing. Uh, and I, I tried to, before the show, I tried to think of a definition for it. Um, you want to hear my definition? I came up with a customized computational process via programming to assist in design and production of design short is computational design. The idea there is that, is that you need to have a customized process that's computational. And then programming is kind of at the center of all that, but it's really an assist. It's not a complete necessity. And so that becomes the process. So as we think about, as we evolve from 2D CAD drawings to, to BIM, this is kind of like the next process. What do we do with now this culture that we have in our office have been well let's assist it let's make it better let's put pro let's wrap some programming methodologies around it uh to help with our design and then and then i think probably two might be confusing is computational design is not just for design it's also how do you express that design like the production how you get that design on drawings that sort of thing so so uh, something could be as as narrow as well dynamo we program dynamo to make repetitive um, views and place them on our sheets and so that we could then do our printing well that actually in and of itself is actually computational design you're not actually using it to design but you're using it to express your design so so it's kind of a it's kind of a process um more than more than anything else that was my two cents on it I think
2: I like that. I think that's good because what I, you know, when we did this research, we looked up um, computational design kind of falls under one of three types of design. And the example I came across was really a great one. And it was looking at the idea of you have classical design, uh, design thinking, and then computational design. And it looked at the example of a chair and we're designing for a chair. So if we're looking at classical design, we really care about the intricacies, the aesthetic of the chair, um, you know, how it feels. When we get into design thinking, we start to question, well, do we need a chair? Do, do I need to stand up? Maybe I don't need this type of design. And then we look at computational design. Then we start to look at how can we design a chair for the masses? to improve social life, you know, or, impr- you know, how do we arrange chairs to get people to come together? And so I think that your idea of this as being a process really um, hits the nail on the head in terms of what it really is. And, and it's just another type of design. And then we just need to sort of figure out how does it fit into what we're doing?
0: The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah, I think that evolution of VIM is an interesting train to to think about computational design. Um, but on that vein, then, who who are the people that actually care about computational design and would like really use and, and leverage this new
3: thought process? I mean, I'm going to have to step in and... Take that. So I think one of the things you might be hearing as a theme here is kind of the the word process, right? Like it's, it's a process. And one thing that I think is a little bit misleading about computational design is you hear that word design and maybe you ascribe that to the domain of architects and engineers and stuff. And while there's some validity in those people, those groups, absolutely benefit and use computational design. Computational design as a process is something that we all use. We can use it in our day-to-day lives. And it's something that you can use in the industry, whether you're an owner, you're a constructor, uh, it doesn't matter. The, The whole spectrum uses or is able to use computational design as a process. How would
0: those use cases kind of come out? Uh,
1: yeah, I, uh, I think what Anthony's trying to get at is it's, it's, um, it's, it's kind of uh, uh, trade agnostic is what I think we're trying to get at here, is that, is that the entire industry could benefit from, from, from computational design. You know, our industry is actually late to adopt this technology. It's been around a long time like the automobile industry, the airline industry, they all use these kind of processes and they've been using them for a long time. That's just kind of the nature of, I think, our industry is on the, I'm putting in quote unquote late adoption compared to, to other industries, right? But certainly ahead of other industries, you know, but anyway. Um, what I, so that that's what Anthony's getting at. That's that's a great point. Uh, what I What I, the way I look at this is, is not necessarily who should be using it. I look at it as like a, um, it, it's a uh, it's a cultural shift that 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 needs to be realized in a, in a, in companies. What what you may find if you survey companies, I'm going to just say companies in general in the AEC, space, whether they're designers or contractors, is you'll find pockets of them within companies that use technology, use computational design. Um, But what you'll also find is that there's not a lot of companies that have full scale cultural adoption of computational design. And I think that is the place that that I would like to see um, all companies get at. I mean, if you use the analogy of BIM again, right? Like 10 years ago, firms would say, well, you know, we're building 3D models, right? So we're kind of using it, right? But now you survey firms that say, oh yeah, BIM is our culture from marketing, to to uh, the directors of the company, uh, to the contracts they write, all the way down to the project managers, to the users, to the to the for construction, the ones out in the field, the ones doing the shop drawings, like BIM is a culture of the company. So so what I what I the way I like to look at this is I would like to see, I think mean, we're saying <laughs> we'd like to see the cultural adoption of of computational design, and not just little pockets. If you get if you get a cultural buy-in of this technology, it's a lot easier for adoption. It's a lot easier to have that kind of mindset, particularly within a company when you work with individuals within a company. But also, what computational design too does is it allows you to to reach out with technology and interact with other groups on your team in between. Contractors and designers and subcontractors and fabricators and, and whatever else. So if you have this culture of, of computational design, then it's easier to it's easier to spread that um, out in your company as well as outside.
2: Yeah, because it takes a willingness to want to adopt something new for a lot of us and adopt a different way to solve a problem or think of a problem differently. You know, a lot of us will say we've done it this way for for so long. And this is not to say that that was the wrong way. This is simply a way of saying there's another way you can solve this problem. And by doing so, look, let us show you the benefits that you get out of it. You know, look at the value you're getting in terms of the time you're getting back. Look at the quality of your designs are improving. You know, look how your firm is growing by being able to do more with less. And so it, we really focus on not the industry, not the person it's, it's, Who is willing to adopt this as a methodology? And so, culture is so important, and that mindset shift is pretty critical.
0: Yeah. So, really, computational design may just be a a fancy way of
3: saying growth mindset. I like it.
2: No, I I I think it's a key
3: part. Right. Like that's a that's a key part of successful adoption. Is you have to have that mindset. You have to recognize. That computational design does equate to uh, growth, right? Return on investment and the way that it can transform your company, your organization. It is something that requires a growth mindset, right? It requires you to be bold and say, we're going to make this leap, even though maybe it's a little daunting, a little bit uh, more complex than what we're familiar with but ultimately the payoff is gonna be so significant that we feel compelled we have to do this.
2: I think it kind of makes you future-proof in a way in the sense that like, if you adopt a mindset like that, your ability to scale and be sustainable long-term kind of become this like invincible company that's able to adapt to whatever new thing comes out. uh, I think this is the
1: first step. Todd, I like your idea of growth mindset. That's, That's important. It's about mindset and um, you mm, there's a lot to say there, but okay. So with growth mindset, that's, I mean, I think that's important for any facet of any business, business of any professional, (laughs) or if you, if you think about it in the context of computational design, it can easily be overlooked unless every individual is thinking about in a company is thinking about growth and culturally, like accepting this technology or any technology, like culturally, like, so you could think about if you're, if say you're a, a principal of a company and, and you are also a designer and you're designing and, and you have your own methodology to do that, but you know that individuals in your company are using um, computational design to make their lives easier and, and that sort of thing, you, you, you need to ask yourself, am I part of that process? Or, or am I not? Is there anything I could be doing as an individual? Because it's easy to say, yes, we are, we are doing this, we're doing that. But, but are you really, are you really questioning what you do uh, professionally that would affect this process? So, for example, if if I was a designer in a company and I used um, I used a pencil and paper, but that's the way I preferred it. But I wasn't really contributing to this process to help make my company better. Is that, is that okay? Maybe let's take it a step further. Maybe I'm using a software like an old software that I'm comfortable in, but I know would not help in the computational design process of the company as a whole, but I still want to use that because of my own reasons. You know, are you still, are you contributing to this growth mindset if, 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 if that is acceptable to you? And, you know, I kind of think about this as like, being wasteful and not being wasteful and being recyclable, like recycling, quite honestly. Uh, If uh, you you wanted to recycle an aluminum can then and you had to throw it in the garbage, you you may even feel a little guilty about it, right? Uh, Or if you bought an aluminum can that you drank out of but it could not be recycled because maybe there was some plastic on it or whatever and it was refused by, by the recycle company, whatever. You may actually think, you know what, I'm going to switch and use a different can. I may pay five cents more or something and I want to do that. it's kind of culturally ingrained in you to want to recycle, at least I would think. So if you're that kind of individual, then how are you recycling things within your company with the processes that you're using? Do you have a process that you're using that can be folded into, into this computational design? Are you reusing the models that you're building or are you just throwing them out? Uh, and so these are the kind of questions I think, I think have to come up, and they're hard questions to ask, and they're hard questions to answer because it may require individuals in a company to make changes to make this process uh, more seamless and, and more efficient.
2: I was going to say, stop buying cans. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a good one too. <laughs>
0: Uh, So one of the things that I kind of hear screaming in my head, maybe from listeners listening to the conversation is uh, how, uh, how, uh, you know, a a lot of this is, um, it could be theoretical, or, or, you know, it may sound theoretical of uh, adopt a growth mindset, you know, change your, your, your thinking and seek to improve, but which anybody that listens to, Bridging the gap is going to know, I I talk a lot about growth mindset, Uh but how do you actually do that to accomplish the potential of computational design?
2: Ask for help. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's a ton, I mean, there's a ton out there and it seems like this daunting task, but really it's being able to accept the willingness to learn that you on yourself have to be able to do that. Like I want, I want to learn this new methodology or I'm open to it. And then ask for help, you know, whether it's your peers inside that you work with or your peers that, you know, are already looking, already working on it and start to think about things that, you know, it depends on what, what part we're focusing on. And, you know, when we say like, how can I adopt something like this? And, you know, there's low hanging fruit that you can establish. Like when you say, man, there has to be a better way. This takes me too long every day. You know, those are the type things you start to question instead of just doing it. Question, is there a better way that I can do this? I may not know the answer, but I'm at least sort of taking that step to acknowledging that there maybe is a faster way or there may be I can do this slightly different.
3: I think that's spot on, Christopher. And I'd like to add to it, you know, especially with your kind of background in innovation. I think in a lot of ways, it requires a similar approach to implementing innovation, right? And building a framework that allows us to capture ideas and capture processes that exist within our company and then to question them, right? To interrogate and say, why are we doing this this way? And then at that point, just by starting to facilitate that conversation and introduce transparency so that others can kind of gaze upon these same problems, that's really where I think computational design and innovation in general can flourish, right?
2: Questioning those things is so important. I remember I came across something when I was doing research and it was the greatest thing. This CEO came up with this idea of kill a stupid rule. Like that's what he called it. And he would ask his team to submit a rule that they have to do on a day-to-day, like submit my timesheet. And he had like, there was some framework, like you can't do anything that maybe is required by the government, but submit it. And then they would have this like big ceremony. They would vote on which rules they thought were stupid. And as the CEO, if he kind of agreed, they'd have like this sort of ceremonious, like we're not doing this anymore. But what, what it was, was this way of really acknowledging or like pushing back a little bit on the day to day status quo and saying, do I really need to do this? Like I do it, but why am I doing that? So yeah, creating that framework is so critical to really just challenge what we do day to day.
1: Are you waiting for me to say something? I I mean,
2: you look like you're about to talk.
1: (laughs) I was about to, but... For
2: everyone else that can't see, see, he's like leaning into the mic, ready to go. Ready
1: to go. Uh, No, Christopher and Anthony, I think you summarized it great. You know, question what you do. And I think um, it could be overwhelming too. You can, you could... The good news about about computational design is it it is a process that i that that is assisting so it's not it, it, you know i think if you look 10 years ago with bim you had to kind of sink or swim uh and and i don't think that's the situation now it certainly could benefit you make you more efficient and all that stuff but you don't have to sink or swim with it so you could take you could take small baby steps to get it introduced into your company to get people convinced that it's the right thing to do, start pilot programs, start in pockets, and then eventually move it into a something you could adopt culturally in your office. Uh, and get Marcelo's book. <laughs> get the book and put it on the, <laughs> in the virtual conference room, I, I suppose. <laughs> but yeah, take it, <laughs> you don't want to get over, you can get overwhelmed easy and it's hard to know where to start. Think finding just one thing to save time with, one thing to assist you with. And like like Christopher said, you do the maybe you do those exercises or throw out the stupid rule. Okay, what's that stupid rule? Find it. And if it's something that computational design can help you with, maybe either learn how to solve that one thing or get someone in, in the company who could do that. And then you float on that idea. You figure out maybe we're saving an hour a week. Wow, that's a lot of time and money, you know, that we're saving. Okay, then take the next step. So.
2: It marginal gains, like small changes lead to, you know, large overall
1: change. Yeah, certainly. And you know, what's, what's really nice this day and age is, is because programming is at the center of all this, you don't need a computer science degree to do it because, um, because of the visual programming tools that are out there now in our industry. So particularly Dynamo and Grasshopper, they allow you to do uh, programming through visual Uh, boxes and wires, although I get in trouble every time I say that, but (laughs) they really, uh, it's really visual programming that could bring, uh, that could bring programming to the masses. And so it's not as, it's really not as difficult as, as it, as it used to be.
0: The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software's Live Lab Learning, a virtual classroom experience where students can listen, interact, and learn from veteran real world application specialists in real time from anywhere in the world. LiveLab is the affordable, convenient way for your staff to take Autodesk certified training courses and even earn some AIA continuing education credits all from the comfort of your own office. Visit asti.com for more information and let them know we sent you. So I wanna throw out some probably red meat to you three. What? how do you push back on the people that say, um, why do I need to question what I'm doing right now? It's working. It's worked for me for decades now. I'm good. I'm making money. I I have no time to really sit and handle this fluff. Do you want to make more money? (laughs) Well, you know, bringing it into the construction industry, you know, there's people are used to the 2% profit margins. And so a lot of people don't even question it. They're like, yeah, that, that's what we have. That's, that's our cap. We know that we're never going to really do much better than 2%.
1: I have a, I have a comment on, on that. Um, what, what, we've, what we've found is that this computational design is, is, is trending towards being the future of AEC. So if, for example, you decided not to adopt it, and you just sat back. I could imagine a scenario where eventually your competitors would, and then at that point you would be less competitive. Uh, and so, so just that alone uh, would, I would think, would merit some investigation into this, into this, um, into this technology. Or you could wait it out and see what happens. Although well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that.
0: <laughs> Marcelo, you just gave my, uh, my favorite pushback line <laughs> on, on this is with the competition aspect of it. Maybe that just speaks because I'm freakishly competitive, but <laughs> I love it. I, it's a great one.
2: It, yeah, it can be a competitive advantage. And, you know, Marcelo, I, I kind of watch back your um, New Zealand user group and you put up one of the keywords you put up, which we haven't talked about was, I think, customizable um, and accessible. Um, but customizable so like there's a big part of this that we haven't really uh, looked that at thing, that do what
1: you listen to that whole thing
2: I listen to the whole thing Holy I did monks. I, know. <laughs> wow. I don't know I don't know why I hear you talk enough I don't know why I like put myself through that <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but uh, I was yeah I was trying to test see if you knew what you were talking about um, you did but yeah I mean so there's a big part of this that we don't really we hadn't really touched on but is this idea of like customizable integration and all of those kind of buzzwords, but for these companies that, you know, maybe they're satisfied with their 2%, but they're still using six different platforms, you know, or they're still using a whole bunch of different piece, parts and pieces and starting to adopt this type of thinking, this type of technology, there are opportunities to start to pull some of those together. And so, you know, yeah, you might be getting 2%, but everyone would love to save an extra hour every day of what they're doing. Whether you want to cut, you know, leave work early. You've done all your work in seven hours. Why do I need to be here for eight? You know, that's a status quo you could challenge, but, or I want to turn that directly into some sort of profit revenue. Um, so, and it all goes to your competitors are doing it and they're going to continue to do it. And you would rather sort of keep up with them. Uh, and then for the small firms, like it's, it's awesome for them because now you can start to compete with these larger firms, that maybe before you couldn't really go toe to toe with them because you couldn't put out the same amount of work or possibly the quality of work. This totally flips that on its head and really starts to give more power to that, to that smaller individual.
3: I I just want to say, I I think in some ways, um, I I think you guys are being a little too nice. Um, And I know this is a little aggressive to say, but I'm going to say it. Go Uh, for it. Disrupt or be disrupted. Right. Like at the end of the day, recognizing where the trajectory of the industry is going, if you're going to sit back and be complacent, you're giving up a competitive advantage uh, in the industry. And ultimately, your year over year returns are going to reduce the margins while your competitors are looking and they are innovating and they are taking advantage of things like computational design to transform the way they work and transform their profit margins. That's a huge point
2: because a lot of our customers, our listeners, their competitors, they're not even in the industry yet. And they don't even realize that they're not here yet, but they are people that are outside in the tech industry looking into this industry. You know, they're the Kateras and the WeWork of the world where they see our industry is like prime for disruption. Right. And so they recognize that and they can utilize technology. I mean, Anthony and I sat earlier today and watched, um, you know, Fit and how they are utilizing computational design technologies to really disrupt the, the retail space and how housing and multifamily are going up. And so it is, you know, to say you disrupt or be disrupted. I mean, it is, it is what it is. And, and the people that are going to start to compete, they're not even here yet. And we don't, we don't even know where they're going to come from, but it, it's going to happen. So you should start to defend yourself. And this is one way to sort of defend is uh, adopting these type of technologies that can now compete against that.
0: Yeah. Anthony, I think you could be even bolder. You said that you would give up a competitive advantage. I think you're giving up a survival ability if you're not adapting and growing, because the AEC industry in, in 10 years is going to look drastically different than what it has in the last 50 years, the, the especially on the construction side. You know, the, we haven't seen a, a huge, crazy innovation trend line in the last 50 years, but that is changing and there is a ton of disruptive workflows and technology coming into the space now that is being adopted. And it's really, you're starting to see that innovation curve kick in now.
2: This last year proved a lot too, because people who said, oh, I, you know, I can't work from home. My firm has to be here. They quickly realized that out of necessity, that wasn't true. You know, right. people that said i have to be on site every single day quickly realized actually no i don't i could use a drone and some other things to do that and so i think now what has happened after going so long in this way is people are getting used to this is the way or this is a way and so now people are thinking a little bit more and am like oh well that was kind of cool what if i do this and some of the greatest um Things that we use today, you know, like the Airbnb, Ubers of the world, they came out during a crisis, you know, during like 2008 and some of the recession times. So firms now are getting started and they're kind of looking, whether it's in this industry or not, um, there will be something that comes about. And so I do agree that you're going to see a lot more now because it's started to happen
0: already. You know, I just had the thought while you're speaking, Christopher, is is there more freedom now? to be innovative because you're not all with each other in the office having somebody looking over your shoulder. So you have some space to go try something new that might be ridiculous on your computer because there's nobody looking at it being like, what are you doing that for? That's a waste of time.
2: I think so. I mean, I I know this has probably happened to both of y'all. I mean, I've had someone come over my shoulder when I'm in the middle of working on a detail, not even done, like just trying to process how this is going to, this building's going to go together. And they say, that can't work. I'm like, not even done. Like I'm in the, literally I'm in the middle of drawing a line and you're telling me it can't work. So, I mean,
3: I, I think there's some validity there. I, I've, I kind of, you know, Todd, you're, you're triggering something, which is um, I, I don't know if you guys follow John made Uh, you know, he's one of the most influential design thinkers of the 21st century. And he's actually the creator of the computational experiences report, absolutely worth checking out. But um, in his last report that came out last month, he actually talked about the difference between remote work and uh, distributed work, right? This, this idea that, we're not just working remotely, right? We're not just not working in the office. We're, we're working, we're still collaborating and we just have to do it differently. And you know, this digital acceleration that's kind of been triggered by COVID has really forced us to collectively evaluate what it means to work remotely or really to work in a distributed fashion. So you get kind of asynchronous uh, innovation that happens and you have to figure out how to communicate. You have to overcome those challenges. And that's where innovation comes from.
0: Hey innovators, over the last year hosting this podcast, recording over 65 episodes with the greatest minds throughout the construction industry, I started to notice common themes in each episode. We've had waves of disruption and a digital transformation impacting every aspect of construction and the leadership skills required to successfully navigate these waters. The simple fact is there are those who allow themselves to be carried along by the waves of changes taking place, and there are others who want to take an active part in changing things for the better. In my opinion, during times of disruption, good leadership is all the more important. People will follow a compelling vision and are looking for leaders to pave the way, no matter where they are in the industry. So I decided to compile my thoughts into an ebook for my listeners. You can download my new ebook titled "Leading Through Disruption and Digital Transformation" for free at bridgingthegappod.com/ebook. Once you do, I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, keep innovating. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, so I, I know Anthony, you and Christopher have been. Uh, doing a lot of work on the applied side to uh you know do a lot with computational design and wondering if you guys can can speak to Marcelo's role and helping to really kind of train and, and level up with that program as well too
2: yeah i can you know so um marcello has been he's been super influential in terms of really trying to up our skill set um so, you know when we when we started working with Marcelo, and uh we had a handful of folks on the team that we've been dabbling in computational design, or we have spent a lot of time maybe in one of the areas, but we, it's, it's been great because now we're able to sort of get, you know, another, a third party can come in and, and sort of give us a different perspective, especially Anthony and I have been so heavily involved, but we're both from the architectural design side. And then to be able to talk to a structural engineer who thinks differently than we do around the same topic has been pretty great. Being able to sort of up those skills, not just for us, but you know, for some of the others on our, on our team.
3: I think, you know, one of my favorite things about even having Marcelo, you know, kind of consulting and working with us is he brings startup energy, right? When you, when you talk about a, a startup, it's typically there's this idea and we're all buying in on this idea, and we're all committed. We're all in, and we're living and eating and drinking on whatever this is. And we're we're going to see this thing through as a startup. And Marcelo comes in, and he brings that kind of energy, and he brings that passion. And when you whether you're in a uh, in an event, you know that Marcelo is presenting at, or that you're in training with him, it's hard not to be infected by that and get really excited and passionate and want to go out there and, um, uh, you know, really just be great. You know, I, I think everything that we're doing here at Applied with Marcelo in the fold, it just inspires me at least to try to be better. And just, you know, for that, Marcelo, thank you. <laughs>
1: Sure. <laughs> uh, for 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 all the listeners, if you're if you're kind of wondering, um, it, it was I, I decided to um, to to help out applied uh, internally. We um, kind of like a natural extension of when I'm on stage doing presentations. Um, well, it used to be across the planet, but now it's virtually across the planet. You know, it's my whole idea here is to. Is to help learn technology and, 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 and teach it to the industry so that they could digest it and just make our industry a better place to live in, you know, as 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 demands got higher on 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 my uh, on my ability to do things. Um, kind of above and beyond just what I would do. Uh, teaching on stage. Uh, I, I thought I needed to, uh, to partner with a with a well known group. Uh, that does uh, like world-class gold standard services to the industry and so so uh, that's why I've uh, um, that's why I'm here and I've partnered with with Applied was just to just just to find a way to help uh, facilitate uh, some of the things I've been doing uh, for the industry Uh, and 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 through that part through that kind of partnership um, has come these other conversations which is well how else could you How else could you assist us internally? You know, what, 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 what do you have to say about our processes in, in in-house that sort of thing? So that's, that's kind of what they're, they're, they're alluding to right now.
3: Well, I'll just say the training that you've done with people on our team has been awesome. You know, it's, it's been awesome to see kind of the skills level up and the minds opened.
1: Oh. Good. yeah you know I, I, that's I, that's just been my philosophy um, all along with with kind of training anyone whether <laughs> whether I'm up on the big stage or in a, in a small intimate user group or in a, in a training session is is uh, is really at the end of the day it's you're, you're you're showing someone how to kind of push buttons in a certain order but but, <laughs> but there's meaning behind it there's passion behind it there's 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 a bigger picture involved with with just the order at which you push the buttons. So if you can, if you can, if you can inspire someone to find meaning behind the order at which you push buttons, um, <laughs> then then uh, then you you have something special because then then it's meaningful and it's it's shareable and it's and it's uh, and, and that enthusiasm can be contagious.
2: Well, in the real world experience I think helps that context that you could provide. And then it's not just pushing buttons, it's yeah. it's pushing buttons and you can speak their language and understand like, I know what problem you're trying to solve because I had that problem and I've solved it. Let me teach you how to do it.
1: I've been in the industry for 22 years and every step I've taken, I've questioned what we're doing in our industry, what new technology could we be using? So I've, I've run into a lot of a lot of issues, a lot of resistance, a lot of learning. Uh, and, um, and so that's just kind of helped shape my mentality on, on how I approach just about anything really. Um, it even started before that, but anyway, uh, long story short. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, um, a lot of things I've done is, is, is a lot of things I've done in, in my past professionally has helped kind of mold me into the, 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 the solutions that I have and the challenges that I've that I've um, taken up, um, a lesson I learned a long time ago, maybe 14 years ago was, was uh, the problems am tr- people, anyone who I'm trying to help outside my company uh, have unique problems that I've probably never dealt with personally. Like, like a good example is um, when I back, oh gosh, 10, 10 years ago, maybe, I've had people say that they have a hard time modeling topography in Revit, something simple. Now I never used that in my company and I've never actually really used the topo topo modeling tools at that time, but I thought, well, how hard could it be? So I spent an entire year researching and training myself up on using topography tools in Revit. And at that point, even up to that point I still never used it in my company. I still never practically did it so that it actually got on drawings but I knew there was a need in the industry to help uh, people, uh, in that area. And then I taught a class at artist university, uh, wrote a white paper on it, you know, and I ended up helping thousands of people in that area just because I thought, well, you know, this is something I should probably learn, even if, even if it's not gonna, uh, everyone, I'm not going to use it in my, my company, uh, personally. So the lesson I learned from that was, uh, as, as professionals, you know, if we're willing to help people, it doesn't necessarily have to be kind of a selfish thing, right? Like, well, why should I learn that? I'm never going to use that in my company. Well, maybe not, but maybe you will if you're partnered with an architect or, or if you're the architect and you're partnered with a, a production architect or you're the contractor and you're partnered with a sub. You know, there's this, there's this great wealth of knowledge that you could be using and sharing. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it's around computational design. Maybe you know how to lay down a bunch of dynamo nodes and, and uh, do something repetitive. Well, maybe you're never going to use it in your company, but certainly someone on your team may uh, team meaning your project team, and then the whole, then then you're in a win-win situation. Sorry, I got off a little tangent there, didn't I? Okay, I'm done.
2: That's good. And you forgot to mention you made the Batmobile. Of all that. Oh, the topography. <laughs> you made the Batmobile.
1: <laughs> yeah, I always look for influence. <laughs> Batmobile was was just. I really needed something to model topography with. I was like, what am I going to model? I thought, hey, could can model some slopes and whatnot. Now right when I was having that thought, I was on the LA freeway. We were headed north on vacation on the five freeway. And boom, passes me by is the Batmobile from <laughs> from the um the uh see that was the uh Tim Burton days. Uh it must have come come off the set. It was the exact same thing, went right by me. I was like, oh I'm gonna model that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Nice. Marcel. I'm curious from your vantage point, um, how long do you think it is gonna take the industry to kind of reach that critical mass on computational design?
1: Hmm, That's a good question. I think, I think the industry as a whole, I think, oof, that's a good question. You know, our industry, I think what, what's unique about our industry is it's made up of a bunch of small sub-disciplines we've got, I mean, in general, we've got one side, which is the construction side and one side, which is the design side. And so, but then within those, we've got pockets of sub-disciplines, right? So, so if I was going to put that all under one umbrella and say, when that's the critical mass, that's a little harder to say, I think it might be easier to break it into its pieces and say, you know, like the design side versus the construct, the general contractor side versus the subcontractor side, that might be a little easier to. To tackle, I never really thought about that. That's
2: you know, it. I would wonder.
1: What, what do you, I'd have someone I w- to chime in. Let me think about it.
2: I would wonder if what's going to happen or what could happen is going to have nothing to do with the day to day, but it's going to, in a way, perhaps come from the top. So, say like it's owner-driven, um, and not like they're requesting it or anything like that. But the timelines of what is required starts to shorten. The budgets for what we have allowed for, say, a project, become a little tighter the fees of an architect start to continue to get nipped away a little bit and what we will find is that no one's necessarily telling us that we need to use it or asking us to use it but to be able to keep up with all of those things and so to be able to keep up with all the owner requests and the complexity that they're asking these owners are becoming more and more savvy so they're seeing what other owners are getting from their um for their projects and so those restrictions start to pass down and then the fees start to dwindle and you reach this point where you have to do what you've been doing for so long is no longer working and you have to start to look at, okay, well, I got to be able to do more with less people or I got to be able to you know, um, produce this drawing set faster than before so I could take on that next one. I think that's going to really be the driving factor more than any of the technology itself.
1: Ooh, that's a good point. I like that, Christopher. That's a good answer. And, and when, when's that going to happen? You know, I don't know. But Christopher, you bring up some good points, which is if we think about the adoption of BIM, there was the sink or swim, right? But a lot of that was driven by the owner, right? They cut the checks. So a lot of times it was like, are you using BIM on my project? Yes or no? The answer was no, I'm going to go find a group that does. Right. And, and the, the owners were convinced, at least some of them, um, you know, whether correctly or not, that BIM was the way to go. Like whether they really understood it or not, you know, who's to say? But a lot of that dri- was driven by by the owners, right? So maybe I'm just thinking out loud. Maybe it should be the responsibility of the industry, like all of us here and all the listeners, maybe to help educate the owners on what this technology is, help educate the other stakeholders on what this can do for their project. You know, you have the standard, the status quo but realize if you had computational design involved in the process these are all your advantages and i think maybe i have not quite seen a talk or emphasis in that area but maybe that's maybe that's a target area that should that should that should happen because it's it there could be there could be a lot of advantages with that right and then and then i'll tell you when we get full adoption and then we could rest comfortably on this when we see a computational design execution plan. I would sigh a breath of relief. I would know that then this has been adopted. BIM is part of that, but it's just part of it because now culturally across the offices, across all the partners in a project, they're all thinking about this and using the technology. And there's some like guidelines on how that should be run because you know I, I can see a situation one day where you're creating, say, Dynamo scripts or Grasshopper functionality or something, and it's not contained within your office. You're sharing it across the partners in your in your project, mm-hmm. and they're all using it. So that requires some kind of standardized computational design um, documentation for the project, and, and so on. You know, I just, I just, sorry, you're making me think of all these things. I it?
2: think so, and you're starting to see already like the the qualities um, of the skill set that people are looking for. So, say, an architect, the skill set of an individual they're looking for it's starting to encroach on that space. They're starting to ask for people that have some level of programming experience. They're starting to look at that type of thing. They're starting to put roles out that are called computational designer or computational specialist. So you're already seeing it. And then what will happen is you're gonna have that one sort of early adopter company that works with an owner and gives them a thousand options of something and overwhelms the owner. And then the owner is gonna to go to some other some other architect and they're gonna get the one option and then be like, where's my other you know 999 options? Because I needed that the last time. And it starts to put that pressure kind of on. So one person, essentially, it's like peer pressure across the organization or across the industry.
1: So Christopher, are you saying then that when people update their resume and they know Dynamo, they should say, "I know Dynamo and computational design." I think that holds a lot of weight. Yeah, mean?
2: I think so. I, I think so. Did you hear that, everyone?
1: <laughs> put it on
2: your resume. God. Take a get the book, take a class, and put it on your resume.
1: <laughs> Open a Dynamo script, build one, <laughs> save it, and then get it on your resume that you have computational design experience. <laughs> J- <laughs>
2: jiggle account. one node.
1: <laughs> from the uh, recommendation from Christopher. <laughs>
0: nice uh well and wrapping up uh you guys want to plug anything in specific obviously go get marcello's book because it's amazing but
2: season two AEC disruptors is coming up can't miss
0: that that's right or season three actually season three season i missed three. the I whole second season you. wow <laughs> we'll just edit it and post <laughs> no leave it let everyone think i thought
2: there were two seasons no season three <laughs>
0: You almost had the other jump in here. <laughs> We're gonna hear from Eric in a second. All right, hold no, on, we'll Ready? It's gonna make a great blooper reel, though. Uh, season three.
2: Season three. AEC disruptors coming out uh, a couple weeks. Got to check it
3: out. Awesome, Anthony. You got anything you want to highlight? No, it's just great. Uh, really enjoy talking and being on the show. Looking forward to see what comes out of computational design in our industry for sure all right Marcelo, how do they get a hold of the book
1: uh you could uh you can find the book you can go to the dedicated website aeccheatsheets.com or you can go to amazon and search for it or just type it in google you'll eventually get <laughs> you'll eventually get there that's how you do it nowadays right <laughs> i don't know <laughs> if you need to give out your contact information anymore if you just google your name and then they'll, they'll find you.
2: You can find anything. You can then find what house they own, who owns the property, how many people.
1: Uh, always like, how do they get a hold of you? Well, how do they not get a hold of you? <laughs>
0: That's right. Google owns the world.
2: <laughs> Just embrace it and enjoy it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Definitely. All right. I got a final question for everybody. Christopher, you've already answered it. If you want another bite of the apple, you can. But uh, what does innovation mean to you? I pass. Ooh, can I go? Go for it.
1: Uh, I don't know if, that's a hard thing to define, but I definitely can say this. If you're not pissing someone off, then you're probably not innovating because because when you make change and it re- you really make change that's important, then you're gonna be pissing people off. And it's just natural, unfortunately. So so if you're, if you're making change and you're pissing someone off, you're probably doing something right.
0: As director of
2: innovation, I approve <laughs> that message. That's awesome. <laughs>
0: That is that is a one I haven't heard yet, Marcello, but I love it. That's amazing.
2: Anthony, your turn.
3: Ooh. Good luck. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I, I could give you a really long winded answer. Um I'm personally really passionate about innovation. But I think ultimately what it um, boils down to is innovation is really about commitment to excellence and commitment to continuous improvement. If you're not committed to those things um, and you're not supporting innovation in that context. And I don't personally believe that you're trying to be the best you can be. Pretty good. That's a
0: good one too. Yeah. Nice. Chris, for anything on your end to wrap up here?
2: No, nah, man. This was good. I enjoyed it. You know, we we said this was a podcast mashup, but actually, what is when three podcasts come together? That's what this episode is. Because Marcelo has one.
0: Yeah, Marcella, I have you, you have one.
2: You have one.
1: Plug well, your uh, podcast. We didn't talk Where about it. Where can that. people find that? I do have a podcast. It's called Simply Complex. You can find it on simplycomplex.org. Yeah, it's certainly... <laughs> I certainly do have a podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot more raw uh, than 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 this one. Uh, yours are are uh, are professionally produced, and it's. I'm impressed, really. Uh, but yeah, if you ever want to catch it, aeccomplex.com. All
0: right, conversation <laughs> done.
1: That was awesome.
0: And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take. This was a really fascinating conversation for me i liked Christopher's definition that computational design is taking something big and breaking it up into smaller parts to focus on the important aspects once clarity is achieved you're able to create a roadmap to solve the problem it's the old adage of you eat an elephant one bite at a time this has practical application to pretty much any process or challenge you can think of Second take Marcelo challenged us to ask the question, are you contributing to a growth mindset process to make your company better? It's a great hard question. I liked how he then paired that with not being wasteful. If you aren't willing to learn, ask for help where needed and find those marginal gains. Frankly, I'm not so sure that you are contributing to the betterment of the company. Final take. Marcelo had a great answer to my innovation question and he's absolutely right that all too often when you seek to make innovative changes, you're probably going to have people upset with you. So are you making any of those good waves of disruption and having people upset with you? Thanks for listening to this episode. If you're interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, applied software at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is directed and produced by Todd Wyant. Edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2021.